On today's episode, you will learn all about ticks in Florida. We're going to talk about the five species of ticks found here, what diseases they may be transmitting to humans, and most importantly, what you can do to prevent tick-borne illness for you, your friends, and family. Welcome to Naturally Florida, a podcast about Florida's natural areas and the wild things that live here. I'm Lara Milligan. And I'm Shannon Carnavali. This podcast is brought to you by UF IFAS Extension in Polk and Pinellas Counties. I don't think we've mentioned it before, but in case you didn't know, Lara and I, we went to school together. We were in slightly different programs, but we were there around the same time. So, Lara, I had a question. I was wondering if this was unique to the forestry students or if your natural resources friends did this also. Did you have a bag full of ticks in your freezer? I I had a lot of ticks on me throughout my classes in the (laughs) field, but no, we didn't collect them and put them in our freezer. Oh, man. Okay, so I lived with a couple other forestry students also. And so we each had a bag full of ticks in our freezer. It made for a lot of really fun conversation when uh, when friends and family would come over for sure. Yeah, I go get some ice cream and (laughs) (laughs) it was gross. But there was a reason we did it. And that was because of tick borne illnesses and how challenging it can be to diagnose a human with a disease that you may have caught from a tick. But it's a lot easier to test the ticks. And as you mentioned, we encountered a lot of them in school, right? Oh, yes. Gosh, there's... Yeah, we don't... So many. So many. We'll (laughs) leave it with that. (laughs) We'll leave it at that. And because of that, we were really excited to talk about ticks today. So we're going to learn all about the species of ticks we have in Florida. We're going to talk about some of the diseases, but we're going to focus most of our time on tick bite prevention and what to do after you get back inside because that's the important part. Yes. And you don't have to keep them in your freezer if you don't want. I was just going to say that. It may (laughs) or may not. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So we're going to start off with what are ticks. To get us squared away, they are not insects. If you listened to our last episode, we talked all about insects. Ticks are more closely related to spiders and mites. Think arachnids. And they are considered something called an obligate parasite. We're probably more familiar with the term parasites, but basically that's a fancy way of saying they cannot complete their life cycle without a host. So if you're, you know, obligated to go to a party you don't want to go to, right? You have to do that. So this is like, they need a host and they need to suck their blood in order to complete their life cycle. And what's really cool. So they have a larva, nymph and adult stage. And at each stage, they require a blood meal, one in each stage. Yeah. And when we think about ticks, we're often thinking about how do we avoid becoming that last host? We don't (laughs) want to be the host for the adult tick because ew. Um, But it's kind of cool how they do it. So they take part in a behavior known as questing. And it's exactly what it sounds like. They're questing for a host. It makes it sound a lot more exciting than it really is. (laughs) But (laughs) essentially, they climb up onto the top of leaves or grass And they hold on to that leaf or grass with their back pairs of legs, their third and fourth pair of legs. And then they outstretch their first pair of legs, like just reaching out for something they really, really want. And in this case, it's us. 
or wildlife and it's gross. But if you think about how a person in a Western movie riding alongside a train is trying to jump on that train, the ticks are trying to do the exact same thing. So they will just wait there and wait for you to go by. They usually do this about three feet off the ground. It depends on each species exactly where. But this questing behavior is how they get to you. That's hilarious. (laughs) I love the analogy there. That was great. (laughs) So in Florida, we have five species of ticks. We'll just quickly name them and then we'll talk a little bit more about these as we go. So we have the black-legged deer tick, the Gulf Coast tick, the American dog tick, the Lone Star tick. These names are just so good. (laughs) (laughs) And the brown dog tick. And the Lone Star tick is the one that's most commonly reported to bite humans in the southeastern and south central United States. Right. But it is possible to get all of them. And so that's why we wanted to talk about them. And the reason we're so concerned about ticks is often because of tick-borne illnesses or the virus, bacteria, or parasite-like illnesses that can be spread by ticks. And these are really important because the number of tick-borne infections has more than doubled in the last decade, and the trend shows no signs of stopping. So if you're ever bitten by a tick and you think you're getting sick, especially a fever, go contact your doctor and get it checked out. We're not going to get into the specifics of any of these diseases, but we did want to talk a little bit about each one and what tick might be spreading it. The first one we're going to talk about is Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. It is primarily transmitted by the American dog tick in Florida, and it's important to know that these diseases as a whole might be spread by different tick species in different parts of the country. But here in Florida, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever is most commonly spread by the American dog tick. There are a couple other diseases in the spotted fever family, and one that's definitely good to know is, okay, Lara, I'm going to try. You can do it. Ehrlichiosis. Very good. Yeah, that's a fun one. There's an H (laughs) in there that you you just don't expect. But anyhow, (laughs) that is another common one, and it is transmitted by the lone star tick and the black-legged deer tick. The disease you've probably heard the most about is Lyme disease. That's it. So Lyme disease, the primary species that spreads Lyme disease across the country is the black-legged deer tick. There are fewer cases of Lyme disease in Florida than in other parts of the country, but it is here and there are some confirmed cases. In 2010, there were 56 of them compared to the more than 4,000 in the northeastern United States, according to the CDC. So we have a very, very small number, but it is possible. So something that I found really interesting in the literature, Lara, was we think one of the reasons for this is that black-legged deer ticks primarily feed in their nymphal and larval stages on smaller animals, right? In the northeast, that is predominantly rodents. In Florida, we think research suggests that black-legged deer ticks in the larval and nymph stage are actually using lizards and reptiles as a host. And those hosts are not reservoirs for the bacterial disease thought to cause Lyme disease. Mind blown. Just so crazy. And if we think if we think back to the episode, our very first episode on anoles and how we My have favorite. our native, yeah, Laura's <laughs> favorite, how we have the native green anole, which is known to be a host for the black-legged tick, and we have the non-native brown anole and how they're interacting in the ecosystem. 
the brown anole is thought to be causing the native green anole to be more tree bound, right? Yeah, more arboreal. It's found higher up in the vegetation. Exactly. And this research was suggesting, it's very recent, it was only published in 2021. It was suggesting that because the green anole was higher up in the trees, it wasn't encountering the larva of the black-legged deer tick, which primarily live in the leaf litter in Florida. It's just absolutely mind-blowing to me. And I don't know if I just nerded out a little too much, but I spent so much time reading this because it was so exciting to me. (laughs) No, that's so cool. And I think a lot of people don't even think about ticks being on reptiles or lizards or yeah so i mean i think that might be news to a lot of people just that fact alone and then you know talk about green and olds and it just makes it that much cooler they're they're just they're so cute so in that research study which i'm i'll be brief i'll finish i promise i'm just i'm so excited um (laughs) they sampled over a thousand lizards for this and they found a whole bunch of them had nymphal and larval ticks on them but not a single one had the bacteria thought to cause Lyme disease. Now, you might be asking yourself, why does this matter? If the nymphs and larvae are not able to get a host that can spread the disease back to them, they don't have it. The eggs of ticks cannot spread Lyme disease from mother to offspring. So even if you have a tick that is positive for the bacteria that causes Lyme disease, when they lay eggs, that cycle ends. If they don't have that bacteria in the host species, Lyme cannot spread. And so anyway, I'll wrap it up. It was super exciting. Because of all of our reptiles in Florida, we think that might be one of the reasons we have less Lyme disease. Yeah, so. that's so cool. No, I think you nerded out appropriately. Okay. Okay, good. Yay, lizards. <laughs> all right. We've got two more diseases we're going to talk about ever so briefly. One is called STARI, and that is an acronym for Southern Tick-Associated Rash Illness. And you might be thinking, tick-associated. That suggests we don't really know. And I would say that's a good theme for most of these diseases. There is so much more research that needs to be done, but we think it's closely related to Lyme disease, and it is most often spread by the lone star tick. The lone star tick is the most common one reported to bite humans. If you recall, Lara said that earlier in the episode. It is definitely the one that was the most present in my little gallon-sized bag of ticks in the freezer. <laughs> Lots I really of wish lo- you still had that bag. <laughs> I kind of do, too. I, would like, apply for a grant to get them all tested for Lyme yeah. disease. Anywho, I feel like real missed opportunity on forestry students there. But anyhow, <laughs> the next uh, disease we're going to mention is the last one we'll talk about today. And it's brand new. Kind of scary. It was just recently kind of discovered around 2006, 2007. And that is known as alpha gal syndrome. I don't know a whole lot about this one, about if it's a bacteria or a virus or if it's just a syndrome because we're not really sure how people get it. But the reason people care about it is it causes a red meat allergy and it can be a very severe allergy. Relatively new issue with humans. We think it's being spread by the lone star tick but we don't really know. Lots of opportunities for research related to ticks in Florida. But what we do know is some great ways to prevent ticks from biting you in the first place and hopefully not getting any of those lovely diseases that Shannon just mentioned. So when it comes to ticks, it actually takes them a really long time to even like start the feeding process. And then once they start, it also takes many, many days for them to get the blood that they desire to complete their life cycle. So 
in most cases, a tick actually has to be attached for 36 to 48 hours before, for example, Lyme disease can even, the bacteria can even be transmitted to us. So even if you find one that's attached, you know, if you, if you catch it soon enough, you don't have to go into full panic. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so really we, it's recommended if you remove a tick within 24 hours is really the goal. You can really greatly reduce your chance of getting Lyme disease and many of the other diseases that Shannon mentioned. Yeah. And then for prevention, you know, before the bite, we have a couple of recommendations and these are our big calls to action for this episode. And that is just preventing the tick bite from the get go. So before you go outside, there are some things you can do. If you know you're going to be in an area with a lot of ticks, for instance, if you're hunting in an area with a lot of ticks or camping, you can pre-treat your clothes and equipment with a chemical called permethrin. And permethrin is derived from a synthetic chemical that is found in marigolds. So that's where this chemical really comes from. And it really is helpful in preventing ticks from trying to quest onto you. Another way you can avoid contact with ticks is just avoid those areas that you know have a lot of ticks. Lara and I had a ton of ticks in college because we didn't have an option. We had no choice. (laughs) It was part of class and they did what they could to manage ticks. But we had to be out in those areas in really dense brush all the time. So if you're going hiking, stay on the trail, you know, leave no trace, walk in the center of the trail. You can also use a EPA registered insect repellent, which I strongly recommend. You can use your choice of insect repellent. There are a lot of them. There's DEET, Picaridin. IR3535, oil of lemon eucalyptus is effective as well. So are two others that I can't pronounce. But the the important thing is to remember to read the label, apply it properly. Don't get it in your eyes or in your mouth. And do not use products containing oil of lemon eucalyptus or PMD, which is one of the ones I can't pronounce, on children under the age of three. Yeah, and I'm sure, again, Shannon... And and those in her household at the time were very <laughs> familiar with this idea of a tick check. And if you've ever been anywhere in Florida and you know there's ticks, that's like after you go, everyone calls out like tick check, like you, you got to do it. And if you don't know what we're talking about, it's basically inspecting your body to the best of your ability. And then there's certain parts of your body you can't see that you need a partner's help to look like your back. Do I have any on my back? So it's really important to do a thorough check. And the best way Shannon and I thought to describe this is to really be sure to look in the warm crevices of your body because that is where they like to attach. Mm-hmm. They're super fun in that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just to be a little more specific, you might want to get a hand mirror if you don't have a very close family member that can help you look in some of these more intimate areas, but make sure you do not forget the backs of your knees, your armpits, the scalp, look behind your ears. These are all important places to look with that hand mirror, or if you're super flexy, you can also (laughs) look down in your private areas as well. Um, You want to look anywhere a, a tick might go. For children, they need to be checked by a trusted family member. They will not know what a mole is, for instance, or they might not recognize a nymphal tick from a freckle. So make sure you're checking children as well. You also should check your pets and the areas you look are a little bit different. You want to look a lot around their eyelids, actually pull their eyelid up and look in their eye, look in their ear, under the collar, like humans, look in their all four of their little armpits. You also want to check between the toes and around the tail. 
There's not been any evidence that that the ticks on pets can spread infection to humans, but pets could bring an infected tick into your home that then uses you as a host instead of your pet. So there's no concern really about an infected tick moving from dog to human, but there's definitely the chance of a unattached tick dropping off your dog and then finding you. I'm getting the heebie-jeebies. Okay, so (laughs) another thing that you could do is to shower as soon as possible after being outdoors. And I, I don't think I mentioned kind of the details, but in terms of ticks, like preparing to feed, even attach and start sucking your blood, it can be anywhere from 10 minutes to two hours. So the key with showering is to get in a shower within two hours of getting home so you can get the ticks, like literally rinse the ticks off before they attach. Yeah. And I would say this is the low hanging fruit here. So yes. if you've never done anything to check for ticks on your clothing, your your friends, your family, your children, this is this is the easy one. As soon as you come in from a hike, get in the shower. It's pretty simple. It's important. The other thing you can do is don't when you take your clothes off to get in that shower, all the clothes you've been wearing on that outdoor adventure, don't just lay them on your couch or worse, your bed. Um, (laughs) really, if you're in an area that might have a lot of ticks, I would suggest coming in through your garage. If you have one, if that's where your laundry room is, if it's in the garage, just throw your clothes right in the dryer. Um, if you put your clothes in the dryer on high for at least 10 minutes, research suggests that that will kill off any nymphs that are still in your clothing or any adult ticks that might still be there from that point, go ahead and, and jump in the shower. So for yard maintenance, it's kind of some things that Shannon and I have mentioned in previous episodes. If you think back to our rodenticide episode, ticks can use rodents as a host. So anything that you're going to do to prevent rodents around your home is also somewhat going to apply for ticks. So clearing tall grasses and brush from around your home. If you have wood piles, just stacking them neatly in a dry area that would really discourage rodents from being there. So things like that, again, you can reference our rodenticide episode for some other tips related to rodent prevention as well. Now, actually, Lara, I, there was one more I wanted to mention, and that was the raking of leaves. If you're in especially a part of North Florida and you know you have a lot of ticks in a wooded area next to your home, keeping your leaves raked may be helpful because they are known to live in leaf litter if and only if. There are known to be a bunch of ticks in your yard because in other episodes, we've already told you leaving leaves on the on the ground is is really good for the ecosystem. But if you know you've got a bunch of ticks, maybe consider raking your leaves. Okay, so the last thing we're going to talk about, and this is the one that might make you a bit squeamish. So I apologize and I will be quick. But this is how (laughs) to remove a tick if it has already latched onto you. And you'll see a lot of things out there, a lot of like life hack style things. There's there's a right way and a wrong way to do this. So don't just use a lighter next to your skin to pop the tick. That does not do anything. It it will leave the head in your skin and that's where the diseases are thought to be. So you want to use clean tweezers, grasp the tick as close to the skin's surface as possible, be steady, even pressure, and slowly pull upward to remove the tick. If you twist or if you move really quickly, you could cause something to break off and remain in your skin. And that is not a good idea. After you remove the tick, you want to thoroughly clean the areas with rubbing alcohol or with good soap and water. And then you want to make sure the tick dies. So never try to crush them with your fingers. You want to get rid of them by disposing of them either in alcohol, 
in a sealed bag or container, or you can flush it down the toilet. I would say that, you know, try not to just like randomly be flushing ticks down the toilet as it uses a lot of water, but um, (laughs) (laughs) you do want to make sure the tick actually dies and they're very flat and resilient and you cannot squish them with enough force to actually kill them. And if Shannon inspired you to have your own bag to keep your ticks, or if you keep your tick at all, you can send out your tick to various laboratories that will test your tick for Lyme disease, which is actually a really effective way to know if you have been exposed to Lyme disease. So there's tons of resources for that online. You can just do an internet search for tick check laboratory or something like that. And you should find a resource that will cost you to do that, but it's a resource available to you. And speaking of resources, Shannon, as she alluded to, nerded out quite a bit. And so we have some amazing resources we will include in the show notes, pictures of the various ticks that we have, lots of additional information about ticks in general and their biology. So please check out the show notes if you want to learn more about these fun creatures that are not insects. And we look (laughs) forward to catching you all on our next episode. Thanks for listening to Naturally Florida, a podcast about Florida's natural areas and the wild things that live here. Stay updated on new episodes by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. If you enjoyed today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend. Naturally Florida is produced by your hosts, Shannon Carnavali and Lara Milligan. If you have questions or suggestions, submit them online at naturallyfloridapodcast.com. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Florida's Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences Extension, an equal opportunity institution. Thank you for listening.